0: Let us turn in the, the Word of God to First John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be thinking upon the verses 16 and 17 today of First John chapter 5. If any man see his brother sin as sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us bow for prayer. Our gracious Father, we come into your holy presence in the name of our Savior as we would seek you. We pray for your help. We thank you for this hymn, the importance of trusting and obeying, putting all on the altar before you, sitting at thy feet in fellowship sweet. prayer fellowship will be sweet with you today as we consider your word for Christ's sake. Amen. And amen. We have returned to these studies in the book of 1st John and over the Christmas season of course we were thinking about some themes appropriate to that time of the year. Uh, but we need to move on and get this uh, series completed and we've only really two or three sermons left and then we will be through the book of 1st John. And the whole theme of 1 John really is walking in the light according to uh, one of the key texts, perhaps the most important text in, in this book, 1 John 1 and the verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And almost everything that John writes here can be brought back to this text. We are to walk in the light as the Lord Is in the light. The last time we were considering 1 John, we thought about prayer, the importance of prayer, the power of prayer, the value of prayer. Verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. It's a remarkably encouraging text showing us how good it is to pray. And I would really encourage you just on the basis of what the Spirit of God says in verses 14 and 15 to attend these prayer sessions as often as you can. There's something about being in the presence of God's people who are praying. It helps us all to pray. It encourages to pray. Sometimes we struggle. In fact, all the time, if you're like me, you find prayer a struggle and you find prayer a battle. And prayer is not an easy thing because the flesh recoils prayer and and Satan, of course, is busy trying to prevent us praying. And sometimes we struggle just to find the right words and thoughts in prayer. But whenever you have other brothers and sisters and they are praying and they are seeking God, you pray along with them. And what a help that is for our own prayer lives. It is an encouragement. And only eternity will reveal what is achieved through Christians seeking God. That's the encouragement of it. Now, these two verses, 16 and 17, they are related because these two verses respect a particular petition. That we need to ask of God. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. You see, as we pray... We're battling with sin. Prayer is a battle and it's a struggle because we're confronting sin. And prayer is one of the means that God has given to us to overcome sin, to victory in this world. There is no one that these two verses, 16 and 17, do not relate to. Because... There is no Christian that does not sin. Therefore, we are all within the frame here. And as John was writing, he was writing words that are applicable to every Christian in every generation. So we're going to think about the sinning Christian because we know that we're not perfect and we know that we do sin. And we're going to think about this now during the course of this message. So, in the first place, let's think about the reality. The reality here is that Christians sin. We know there's sin within our own hearts, and therefore, as we think upon this subject today and as we look at this text, we're not to be looking around. I know we're not looking around in our Moving our heads from side to side. But we can be looking around in our own minds. Wondering, who's this for? It's for me. It's for me. That's the first thing we need to do. We always have to come with that attitude and that spirit. As we approach God's word. What is there here for me? If we don't open up our hearts to the word. We'll not be changed. And the word of God is that which changes us. It molds us, it melts us, it transforms us, but we need to be submissive to the Word. And so the reality here is that Christians sin. Now, there are two categories of sin here. And this is what makes this text particularly difficult. And it's not a text I would suggest that any preacher would come to as a kind of a go-to text. Oh, really? Really? look forward to being able to preach in that verse. What a wonderful verse that is. It is a wonderful verse, but it's a verse that one would come to with a certain fear and trepidation because of what John is saying. And, and what is he saying? There are two categories of sin. So there is the sin not unto death. If any man see his brother's sin as sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So there is a sin not unto death. A sin that can be prayed for. And then there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. So there is a sin not unto death and there is a sin unto death. I I think we need to try and understand what this sin unto death is first of all. Because we, we, we will only really see what the sin not unto death represents whenever we think about the sin unto death. So what is this sin unto death? In the first place, I do not believe it is one particular sin. I, I do not believe this was written in order that We might look at one particular sin that a believer could commit and say, that's a sin unto death. I don't believe John is saying that. We are not to be the judges of that. And we are not given any indication as to what that sin might be. But what we are being taught here is that sin has certain consequences. And some sins carry greater consequences than others. I think that's what John is teaching us here. Now, what, what do the commentators say that this sin unto death might mean? What it might represent? Well, from what I have read, and I, I've read more than one commentary on this, that the, the scholars and the experts and the, the, the commentators, they say there's, there's four possible explanations as to what This sin unto death might be. Four possible explanations. So let's just think about these explanations and then we'll start ruling them out and then we'll think about what, what the truth is. One possible explanation is that a Christian, a born again Christian, and remember, John is writing here to Christians. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to unconverted people. He's writing to Christians. So what he's writing here relates to God's people. So one possible explanation is that a believer sins in such a way that takes his soul to hell. A child of God ending up in hell because he has sinned in such a way that has taken him to that place. Immediately we discount that. That cannot be right. That is not the sin unto death. the reason why that could be deemed as a possible explanation is that when the Bible talks about death, it very often talks about spiritual death, eternal death, death in the lake of fire forever. That obviously is not what John is talking about here. He's not talking about the lake of fire. Because it is impossible for a Christian, one whom we have just said in Romans chapter 8 is not condemned, it's impossible for that Christian to end up in hell. No child of God will ever be in hell, thank God. You see, if it were possible for a believer to go to hell, but would only take one sin. One sin that wouldn't even be a, a particular scandal. One sin in the thought that nobody could see would be enough to take us to hell. If it were possible for us to fall from grace. That's why the whole idea that a believer can fall from grace is so nonsensical. It it demeans the grace of God and the gospel. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. We're saved by grace, and we're kept by grace, and we're not kept by works. So, that is not an explanation. No Christian will ever be in hell. Another possible explanation is that... The person who professes faith becomes apostate, becomes apostate. And this is just another variation of the first explanation. Come with me over to the book of Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six and the verse four. The great explanation of the apostate in the Bible. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. So Paul is writing about people that were enlightened, people that have tasted, people that have been part of God's church. But They have fallen. They have apostatized. They put Christ in open shame. They begin to stand up for everything that they once said was wrong. And as a result, they cannot be renewed unto repentance. They're lost forever. Now, these people were not genuine Christians, they were not saved. But the church thought they were saved. And they were part of the company of God's people. And they took communion with God's people. They prayed with God's people. But the real work had not been done in their heart. And so they totally repudiated their Christianity and went in a totally different direction. And that's the apostate. Is that a possible explanation here? They sit unto death? It could be. But I don't believe it is. And the reason why I do not believe it is is because John is not writing to apostates. He's not even writing about apostates. He's writing about people that are brothers, sisters, people that know God, who are genuine believers. Here's another possible explanation that we also will discount, that this relates to the unpardonable sin The unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. It's a sin that cannot be forgiven. The Lord talked about this sin. We often use that text in the book of Genesis. My spirit shall not always strive with man. A a, a person that has heard God speaking to them, the Spirit has striven within, and they have turned away from God and turned away from the, 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 the gospel, and they have sinned away their day of grace, and God has spoken for the last time, and they're lost forever. And that's why, dear say a friend, you need to take notice because you can only be saved when God speaks. And if God doesn't speak, you'll never be saved. And if God's speaking to you today and calling you to come to Christ... You need to come because you might not have another opportunity. And you may live for another 10 years, another 15 years, another 20 years. You may live a whole lifetime to an old, old person, young person. But if God never speaks again, you'll never be saved. And that's why it's so important that you come to the Lord now. For now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But I do not believe he's talking about the unpardonable sin here because a Christian cannot commit the unpardonable sin. The brother, this is someone that is saved so what is the explanation for the sin unto death what is it it doesn't relate to eternal punishment doesn't relate to eternal judgment doesn't relate to the lake of fire doesn't relate to the person losing their soul what is it there's only one explanation here there's only one explanation that makes sense when John writes about death he's talking about the grave Talking about death. He's talking about a sin that leads to physical death. God stepping in to the life of a Christian and saying, You've sinned and you're going no further. I'm taking you home to heaven before you do any more damage. Is that possible? Does God do that? Does he do that with his people? Well, think of the words of of Second of Samuel chapter twelve. Uh, if you turn with me over to the book of Second Samuel chapter twelve, I, I, I want to show you something here. Second Samuel chapter twelve. Now, Second Samuel chapter twelve is. Is where the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba are dealt with. Nathan the prophet comes before him. He confronts him with the sin. He says, Thou art the man. And notice in verse 13 what is said between David and Nathan. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee, shall surely die. In this case, it was the child that died. David didn't die. The Lord could have taken away David's life. But Nathan said, you're not going to die. You have confessed and you have repented. But there's a consequence here because you've done something that has caused the very enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I can't ignore that, David. That has to be dealt with. See, God doesn't ignore our sin. He can't. He can't just pretend it doesn't happen. There's always a consequence for sin. Think of the case of Ananias and Sapphira. Here were a couple that were part of the church. Here were a couple that were very much members of the, the family of God. And here they were selling land, giving the proceeds to the church and pretending they were giving it all. That was the point. They were letting on. They were giving it all. And they were holding back something. They were lying. Uh, wasn't it wasn't that they were lying to the servants of God. They were lying to the Holy Ghost. And the two of them died. And we're told that great fear came upon the church. Think of the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Because some in Corinth... We're treating the Lord's Supper with contempt. Not in a reverential way. Some were sick. And some had died. That's what the Bible says. The sleep is the sleep of death. All of the commentators agree with that. And so we begin to understand and appreciate here that sin in the life of a Christian is a really serious thing. A really serious thing. And we need to be alive to that. And it's something that should solemnize all of our hearts because there's no one here that doesn't sin. And so there is this sin unto death. And what then is the sin not unto death? I don't think John is writing this because there was a believer in the particular company of God's people that he was writing to, there was a believer there that John was saying, look, there's a fellow there who's committed the sin unto death. There's a woman who's committed the sin unto death. I don't think he was saying that. What he was saying was this. We need to be alive to our sins because this is where it leads to. We need to be watch be careful. And when sin arises in our lives, when we see it, we need to deal with it, because this is where it leads to if it is unchecked. And that's what he's saying. Let's think about the reaction to the sinning Christian now. There's a reality, the reaction. And, and so we're, we're majoring here in this sin, not unto death, because this is a sin that we are to pray for. And again, we can never say that a sin is unto death. That's for God to deal with. That's the warning. That's John firing the warning shot. We need to take that warning and we take that warning by praying that we will have victory over sin. If any man see his brother or sin as sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So we need to pray that God would forgive us our sins. We need to pray individually if we are to pray for someone else, that they might be recovered, they might be forgiven. We're certainly to make that prayer for ourselves too. That makes sense, doesn't it? We combat sin through prayer. That's how we deal with it. That's the reaction. We're not to gossip about sin in someone else's life. We're not to speculate. We're not to go down that track That kind of thing grieves God. Grieves them terribly. We're to get on our knees and we're going to pray. God will bless that person. God will work in their lives. That's how we deal with sin. That's how we confront sin in others' lives and also in our own lives. On our knees, seeking God. Because that's what Christ does. Turn with me over to the book of Luke chapter 22. I want to show you something here. Most blessed text in God's Word. Luke chapter 22 and the verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Just think of the battle that was going to take place in the life of Peter. Going to the place where the Lord would be judged. And then, in the moment of crisis, betraying the Lord. Denying the Lord. Of course, he wasn't like Judas, but he did deny the Lord. And he did it with curses, swear words coming out of his mouth. I know not the man. What a battle was going on Peter was failing and Peter was faltering And the Lord said this very thing would happen What was it? Satan wanted to have you That he may sift you as wheat And what was true of Peter is true of us all Satan wants to have us And the wheat is sifted Separating away the, the chaff Sifting it Satan wants to sift us He wants to take us for himself Sifting's a turbulent thing. Satan wants to create turbulence in our lives. Disrupt our lives. He might have us. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Oh, what a blessed thing it is to know that Jesus is praying for us. The ways of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And when he falls, he'll not be utterly cast down. For the Lord will take him by the hand. And because of God's grace, if it were not for God's grace in any of our lives, where would we be today? Not one of us would be here listening to God's word. Thank God for our praying Savior. May God give us that Christ-like spirit as we think of others and as we think of ourselves. Finally, the remedy. The remedy for the sinning Christian. I have been meditating in recent times Upon the book of Ezekiel chapter 37, just as we come to close, just turn with me, please, to Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to show you something. Ezekiel was called to minister to a people that had sinned, a people that were facing the consequences of their sin. A people that were in slavery, a people that were in Babylon. They had to minister to these people and preach to these people. And these people would hear bad news coming from Israel. Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. The Babylonians were, totally, were going to absolutely and completely overwhelm it. And the whole civilization was coming to an end. It was because of sin. This is what their sin had done to them. And Ezekiel was given a very graphic lesson as to how God would deal with his people. And Ezekiel was taken in the spirit of God there in verse 1. And he was taken to a valley. And it was full of bones. It was a dry valley. And the bones were there, bleached white. And the sun. Terrible battle had taken place here. Many had died in this place. Yet God took them to this place. You know, God's sovereignty. God is always sovereign. God takes us to places in life we would rather not be in. To suffering we prefer not to endure. He even allows us to commit our sins. Yet in the midst of all of that failure, He melts us and he molds us into the people he wants us to be. He makes no mistakes. And verse 3 says, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? There was Ezekiel brought to this place looking out at these bones, these dead bones, these dry bones. Can they live? God had brought them here. Can these bones live? Can there be a future for us? We sin, we fail, we backslide. Can there be a future for us? We feel our own weakness. We feel our own disappointment. Can there be a future for us? We look at this land. We look at this nation. There's so many dry bones out there. We think of the rise of secularism. We think of the abandoning of God's word. So many dry bones. Can these bones live? Can God do a work here? Well, obviously, Ezekiel knew that Nothing, humanly speaking, can make those bones live. But he was a man of faith. And he said, O Lord, thou knowest. Verse 3. You know, Lord, you can make these bones live. You can do what no man can do, but no woman can do. Your spirit can do this. And then God said, speak to these dry bones. You preach to these dry bones. No preacher had a, a more disinterested congregation, a more apathetic congregation. It wasn't hostile. They didn't know how to be hostile. They were dead. They were dry. They were barren. But he preached. He did exactly what God told him to do. He preached truth to these dry bones. And suddenly there was a commotion. They started to come together. There was a shaking as Bowen started to touch Bowen. And what a sight that must have been. But still there was something missing. Verse 8 says there was no breath in them. We can plan. We can organize. We can be faithful. We can do our best. And we may see something happen, but we'll not see that real move of God unless the Spirit of God comes. And so he was told to speak to the wind. And the wind there is the word for spirit. And suddenly the Spirit of God came, breathed upon those dry bones. What did they become in verse 10? They became a great army. Those dry bones were given purpose. They became a great army. And yet this was a sinful nation. This was a nation that abandoned God. It turned away from God. This was a nation that were suffering, chastening, and judgment. But God said, I've got a future for you. Just see a future for Peter. Who would ever have thought that Peter, after failing the Lord, would be the prime preacher, the foremost preacher on that day of Pentecost, standing before that people, seeing thousands saved? That's what God had done. It's the goodness of God. God can give us purpose. We feel with no purpose.